1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, and as usual, Mark Schulman will be joining us. He's an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific website, HistoryCentral.com. We'll visit with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We talk about a prosperous ancient nation you've probably never heard of. And we'll t- find out why. It lasted over 300 years. We'll also visit with Jim McTegg. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of murder mystery thrillers. Uh, one is Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. It is July the 27th and on this day in 1794, Maximilian Robespierre, The architect of the French Revolution's reign of terror was overthrown and arrested by the National Convention as the leading member of the Committee of Public Safety. That's right. I'm not kidding. They called this the Committee of Public Safety from 1793. Robespierre encouraged the execution, mostly by guillotine, of more than 17,000 enemies of the revolution. The day after the arrest, Robespierre and 21 of his followers were guillotined before a cheering mob in the Place de la Revolution in Paris. After his execution, the reign of terror was at an end, as in the aftermath of the coup, the Committee of Public Safety lost its authority. There's a certain amount of irony there, isn't there? It's kind of like Black Lives Matter today. The prisons were emptied, and the French Revolution became decidedly less radical. The directory that followed saw a return to bourgeois values, corruption, and military failure. In 1799, the directory was overthrown in a military coup by Napoleon, who wielded dictatorial power in France, uh, and that, uh, of course, reigned from 1804. Uh, as French, until after 1884, as French emperor. All that happening on this day in 1794. It does sound eerily familiar, doesn't it? Uh, violence continued in several U.S. cities across the weekend, with uh, demonstrators squaring off against federal agents outside a courthouse in Portland, Uh, uh, forcing police in Seattle to retreat in a station house and setting fire to vehicles in California and Virginia. I'm not kidding. This really happened. In fact, the chief of police in Seattle said, you know what? Uh, If you have a small business, we've got our orders from the the, uh, elected officials. We're not going to be able to defend your small business. Isn't that sad? A protest against police violence in Austin, Texas, turned deadly when a witness says the driver of a car that drove through a crowd of marchers opened fire on an armed demonstrator who approached the vehicle and someone was shot and wounded in Aurora, Colorado, after a car drove through a protest, their Authorities said. It's really sad to see all the violence uh, in my mind. This whole thing seems so orchestrated. My guess is if uh, Biden were elected president on November 3rd, all this would stop. I think it's uh, definitely orchestrated through people like George Soros, who's probably funding this violence in uh, these liberal cities. Notice Portland, Seattle, the others, the areas where they're protesting, where, where they have elected officials who are willing to not enforce the rule of law. The consequence? Violence and mayhem. It's such a sad thing. While there are 70 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Sunday, it seems the numbers are starting to get smaller here. The total COVID-19 related deaths remain is at 117, with an increase in a total number of confirmed cases at 8,795, with 55,567 tests. 600 people in Collier County have been hospitalized for COVID-19 as of Sunday, but we don't know how many have been released. My guess is probably all but about 125, just a guess. At least 200 people gathered outside and Table on Saturday. Now, it was much more than that, quite frankly. I'm getting this from the paper, but um, my wife, Linda, drove over there, and she couldn't find a parking place. She couldn't get out of the car because it was so packed. While well, they gathered there in the Market Seed to Table Market in North Naples on Saturday, clothed in Americana and holding signs addressing their opposition to Collier County's mask mandate, Seed to Table owner Alfie Oaks and his legal team, attorney Jim Boatman and state representative Anthony Sabatini, uh, announced that in the crowd to the crowd that they will be filing multiple lawsuits within the next few weeks against Collier County and the commissioners who voted for the mask mandate. Oaks and his legal team said the mandate is unlawful and a governmental overreach, that according to Attorney Jim Boatman. We will not back down, Oaks said. Boatman continued to speak to the crowd of supporters, stating that if it is their individual right to make decisions for their health care and the commissioners need to stay true to their oath to uphold the Constitution. Sabatini uh, has filed lawsuits against the mask mandates in several other counties around the state. Throughout the uh, announcement, the crowd cheered and clapped in support, sometimes breaking out in chant, uh, yelling, Alfie, Alfie, Alfie. Of course, Alfie uh, um, Oaks is running for Republican state committeeman. He's on the ballot, uh, but he's pretty outspoken about all this. Commissioner Taylor and Oaks uh, have the right, uh, said Oaks has the right to sue, and that in today's world, anybody can sue anyone for anything. I don't think she was expecting this kind of a backlash, though. Oakes started voicing his opinions and moving forward with the lawsuits because he doesn't want to see people lose their opportunity. As we let our liberties go by the wayside, we lose opportunity, Oakes said. Oak said he grew up poor and built his own company that now employs... Uh, about 23,000 people. I've been able to live the American dream, he said. Just an amazing thing. We're going to come back to this topic in just a little while. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Mark Shulman. Mark is a Uh, an author. He's written several books about past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly stab has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented Associate Artistic Director of Golf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pin-Up Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show. Show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, they posted the new season. It's coming up, and you can get tickets now at a nice discount by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, as we uh, mentioned before the break, we have Mark Schulman, Uh, author of several books, is mainly on past presidents, and founder of the multimedia website, terrific website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. So uh, let's talk about what's going on around the world. We're going to get to COVID-19 in just a while, but of course the escalation, the tension between the U.S. and China, is escalating substantially, and they've got some problems with some dams. Maybe you can tell us about it.
2: Sure. So... The escalation, it's not totally clear what's causing it now. I think to some extent it's the U.S. administration wanting to put on a show. So we have this long term, really sorry about that. We have a long term problem with China that we all know about and we need to deal with. And it's both trade and it's both a question of spheres uh, of, of influence and all those sort of things. It's all combined. China's a rising power. At the moment, we seem to be the opposite. So the question becomes, you know, what our policy should be towards China. The problem right now is, is this the right, you know, is this the right time to take on China in the midst of COVID worldwide, and in the midst of a situation where the United States has very few allies in the world. So it's, it's a real challenge, and um, I'm not really sure what this whole business of closing their their consulates in Texas was all about. because yeah. They closed ours to ours. I'm not really sure why we did that right now. There's really been no good explanation given for that. So, there's clearly a, a much, you know, a great rise in in um, contention. On the other hand, you know, there, there are problems and things that we just don't even begin to understand the meaning of. And I'll give you a completely side thing, but it's food for thought. I don't know if anyone has followed the fact that Intel, our major manufacturer of computer chips, announced on Thursday that. Uh, their technology for producing uh, the next generation of ships, the production side of it, has fallen a year to two years behind, and they're considering outsourcing the manufacturing. And one of the places to outsource it to is China, where they've managed to to reach the sort of uh, uh, the, net, the new generation in terms of production of ships. This is a disaster when you think about it. It
1: is totally disaster. I have not heard about that. Um. Intel is a subsidiary now of, and I've forgotten which company, but...
2: No, it's not. It, it, Intel's not a subsidiary of anybody. Intel, Intel is Intel.
1: Yeah, or maybe, maybe, they, cool. pur- maybe they purchased... The, I've forgotten exactly what the but, details are. They've
2: they, they purchased a lot of companies in the last couple of years. Yeah. They are independent, yeah, okay. and they're the largest manufacturer of uh, of computer chips in the world. And they're our flagship company more than anything else.
1: Yeah, now I, had, uh, I hadn't heard that. That would be disastrous if, in fact, they did that. I I would guess that would fall under the banner of, under the veil of national security, and I doubt seriously that the United States would allow that to happen uh, because they are working very well, but the hard. Problem
2: is they can't, but, but here's the problem if they technically can't produce the chips that they need to, they've done designs and they can't produce them, then some other con- company will, right. and they'll get all the business. Right. So this is a
1: real dilemma. It is a dilemma yeah. indeed. Just to address, though, uh, my understanding is that the embassy in Houston was closed uh, primarily because it was an espionage center, believed to be an espionage center in any event, and apparently with pretty good proof, because uh, they've now raided uh, the the uh, 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 embassy or outlet or uh, whatever it was. So in any event, I think that's probably behind
2: it. Yeah, all, all, all embassies are espionage centers. Let's be honest about that. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the you know the odds and theirs and everybody else. Some of it's legitimate, some of it's above board, some of it is you know below board. But the fact of the matter is that that's the way the world is, and we we all, each of us in the world accept the fact that foreign governments send people as diplomats, and some of them are not quite diplomats.
1: Oh no, agreed, agreed. However, uh, the assault on. Uh, uh, Intellectual property and what uh, China's done. I mean, as someone once said, he said, if we end up going to war with China, we'll be the, it'll be the only time that one side funded both sides of the war, <laughs> because that's pretty much how it's been going up to this point. So I, th- I think, uh, yes, it's a difficult time. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not defending China in any which way. I'm just wondering about the timing. And again, I think we need a comprehensive plan. But one of our real problems right now is none of our traditional allies are standing with us to a very large degree. So, that's the real problem. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to see where that where that ta- where that takes us at the moment. Um, and again, I, you know, I just always hope. I, I don't like when things like this happen. You know, in the months leading up to any sort of election, I don't care who's running.
1: Yeah, uh, so always have uh, there appears to be a national or uh, international catastrophe. I'm going to say uh, a natural catastrophe occurring in China with these dams. Apparently, they killed millions of people, as I understand. Any any thoughts on that?
2: No, I mean again, look, China. China did everything on a huge scale, um, and including trying to tame nature. And as we've seen with COVID-19 and other things, nature has its way of fighting back. Let's put it that way. That's right. And. And so, you know, we can we, we, we can do all we can to try to tame nature and get things to move in the ways that we want, and that's what China did with these dams, but sometimes it doesn't work, unfortunately. Uh, well, it, I, I can tell you... How many times have we had in the last five years, once in a hundred weather events?
1: Yeah. Well, uh... <laughs> when Irma came through it felt like one I, I must say now I, I will say though that we tried to redirect a river here in Florida and it has been it's a disaster in, in a sense that the, the, ultimately Mother, mother Nature is going to take the course that it desires irrespective of whatever we try to do about it so uh, you make a great point there um, uh, let's move to Iran what's happening in Iran right now well
2: there's so many multiple levels of what's happening in Iran right now that it's tr- it's hard to sort of separate things out so Let's just first touch on COVID-19. They supposedly have 25 million cases of COVID-19 in Iran, which is a humongous number. Uh, we're talking about at least, you know, a quarter of the population. So mm-hmm. that's not, not something you could ignore. You have the continued, um, um, you have the continued uh, economic problems that they have, because, both because of sanctions and because of the problems of their economy. You've had these explosions that have been taking place throughout Iran over the last, um, I guess, about three weeks now, almost one a day. And, you know, some percentage of them are clearly the results of foreign intelligence services, be they who they may be. Some of them may be domestic terrorism, and some may just be the lousy infrastructure. Yeah. So you have all of these combinations of things. And now you have a greater tension all of a sudden between the United States and Iran in the um in the gulf and so of all the things that are really strange they've taken they they have a dummy american aircraft carrier which they sort of make believe they bombed at times made of balsa wood and for reasons that are not clear they've moved it into the gulf from its port in in iran so i have no idea what that's all about
1: yeah to me, I mean, just intuitively when I read everything that's going on right now, it just makes me think that the uh, these ayatollahs are on shaky ground right now. The leadership in Iran is, uh, I think the people are losing their sense of humor about what's happening there.
2: Oh, no doubt. There's no doubt they're on shaky ground. But once again, we, we come down to the fact that these ayatollahs claim to have the key to heaven. And it's really hard to fight he- heaven. We'll get enough people to fight heaven. So yeah. that's going to be the challenge. It continues to be the challenge. And they're willing to use forced against their own people. And as we saw in Syria, not to be a broken record, Syria has put back the um, urge of democracy uh, for people throughout the world. But they saw what happened to the Syrian people. All they wanted was, not even democracy, all they wanted was a few democratic steps. And in the end, uh, they were all killed and we yeah. had 10 years of civil war.
1: The, the thing that concerns me the most about the... Uh, I. Iranian leaders a, this eschatological uh, viewpoint they have that basically everything is supposed to be uh, death for Allah, that these people are so extreme that they would actually you know blow up the planet or whatever it might be if they were about to lose power. In other words, you know these are truly the terrorists of the world.
2: No, no absolutely no question. Look, I am a very strong believer that we really anyways in the world, I don't care what religion it is. We need to keep religion out of government. Not in the sense that people shouldn't be religious who are in government, but, um, you know, I think John F. Kennedy said it, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Catholic president, I'm a president who's, who's Catholic. Right. Uh, and I think that, that that's what it really comes down to. Our presidents, and not only our presidents, but leaders throughout the world, they can have whatever religion they want, and that's fine, but they're not a representative of that religion when they are the leader of the country, and they can't take those views of the religion and... And and that shouldn't determine what they do as as leaders, because religion has its own sense, and sometimes it's not always that that great when it comes to... Uh,
1: I I must say that tension exists right here in the United States, but I think over the course of 300 and some years, we've done a great job of balancing that tension in in the separation of church and state.
2: Right, we were very clear from the very beginning of the idea of of separation of church and state, and there wouldn't be a, a national religion of any kind um, we we learned from Britain and France what we don't didn't want. Um, and look, it still causes tension. There's no question about this. You Absolutely, know, still come back uh, all the time. Um, people are more religious or less religious, and they want their government to reflect their religion often, and that's you know often a, a problem. Yeah. You know? so, so it gets to certain cultural debates, whether it's the issue of abortion and other things where religion plays a a key role in determining people's views. So
1: So interesting. So, Mark, I I do want to talk to you about what's happening with coronavirus around the world. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. All right, good discussion. There was some
0: tension with... uh... Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: (laughs) Discussions, with we uh,
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And of course, during the pandemic, it's been a little bit of a struggle, but it's working. And you can find out more by visiting the website vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mystery novels. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, let's talk about what's happening with uh, the COVID-19 around the world. Uh, any update? Well, yeah, well, one of
2: the things we're seeing is it's hard to stamp it out. You know, any country that has thought it had done okay and had uh, completely stamped it out, it seems to have come back. Uh, we had this now in, in Tokyo, which suddenly has hundreds of cases a day, and they thought they had gotten by without almost any cases. We've had the first cases in Vietnam in a long time.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and um, also, Australia, they've closed down, uh, they put a curfew on 4 million people because one of the provinces in Australia suddenly there were a whole bunch of of incidents of COVID-19. Hmm. So it's proving very difficult. In, in Europe, uh, Spain is particularly problematic. And Spain is sort of similar to the United States in the sense that the central government initially took, well, the United States never, the central government never took control, but in Spain, the central government initially took control in terms of uh, curfews and everything else. And then for reopening it, it, led it, to, it left it to the individual provinces, sort of like we need to be our individual states. Uh-huh. And the result has been very uneven, and particularly, I believe, in Barcelona and a couple of other places, there have been major outbreaks. And so while Spain for a while was considered a, a green country, um, it's now once again a red country, and people coming from Spain to other countries now have to enter into quarantine. Hmm. Um, so... It's a very difficult virus. Let's put it that way. And until we have, uh, until we have either a cure or or a a vaccine, uh, it's going to be really hard to get the world back to any sense of of normal,
1: let's put it that way. Yeah, well, there's been a couple of therapeutics, and uh, I know we're in the search of a vaccine, which we're hopeful we'll have by the year year end. However, the focus on the number of cases still kind of puzzles me, because uh, when this first thing broke out, and I'm fairly myopic, I'm not watching what's happening around the world, so I really appreciate your insights on this, but uh, we focused on uh, flattening the curve. And what does flattening the curve mean? It means watching how many has- hospital beds we have available, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't overwhelm our healthcare care system with cases of coronavirus. Well, uh, that doesn't seem to be happening here in the United States, even though the number of cases has had a, a, a pretty big increase. So what are your thoughts about that?
2: Well, two things we need to keep in mind is, first of all, in Texas, for instance, in some places we've, we've come pretty close at this point to overwhelming the the hospital system. It takes time to overwhelm it because one of the factors of COVID-19 is the fact that once you get seriously sick, it takes you a while to recover. So it's a cumulative effect and we need to keep that in mind that even if we, if we um, flatten the curve of new cases, the accumulation keeps on accumulating because people don't, People don't get better as quickly as they get sick, if you follow what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, but, so, you know, the, uh, and I hear the, the push is to slow the spread, so to speak. Well, if, in fact, this thing is going to spread, why slow it? Let's get it over with. <laughs> you
2: know? because, because we, no, because we can't get it over with because way too many people have too many serious cases, and we have too many. I, I, I know three people who theoretically were over the, had the virus three months ago, and they're still sick. Yeah. They still are tired. They still can't go fully to work. Uh, one of them has no taste yep. uh, or smell. This is not something where you can just say, well, the whole population can get it, then we'll have a herd of mince- her the immunity doesn't seem
1: to. It's not going to work that way. Yeah, no, I, no. I've heard I've heard stories like this, and and however, uh, what we're seeing here, and again, I'm fairly myopic. I'm looking at what's happening in Cuyahoga County, but uh, we've had something like 400 people go to the hospital, and most of them have been released. Uh, we've have about 80 percent of our beds filled right now, which I, I think the hospitals usually have higher numbers than that. Uh, so and i think that's because right now people are re uh... avoiding routine that routine things they're not
2: going for right?
1: that's right that's right so uh... Okay. from from my standpoint uh, i mean uh, uh, my understanding is that the hospital stays are shorter that they, they know how to deal with this putting fewer people on respirators uh... most people are asymptomatic or have very few i know one individual that lost his taste and and uh, smell for a couple of days had a fever for a while and then he was okay so uh... i, I think it very varies substantially, and the main thing is that apparently children are, are not affected by this as much. So many many places, uh, municipalities around the United States are saying we should need, keep these schools closed. New York is doing that. Here in Florida, we're opening the schools. Now, in Aquila County, we've chosen to, uh, for example, give options to parents, everything from homeschooling to sending the kids to school five days a week. Uh, which, you know, is, is okay, but I think there's a dramatic overreaction. It's a There's a pandemic well, let me, affair.
2: Let me, let me, let me get, go to some, some, some high information here. It's quite clear the kids under 10 um, almost never get the disease. Yeah. And if they get it, they get that other disease, which is a very, very bad disease, but a very, very small percentage of them get, get this. I forget what it's called, but it's uh, similar to some other disease. Yeah. Um, and they do not... Uh, their ability to spread the disease is much lower than adults. Right. However, from age of 10 on up, it would seem, A, uh, from 10 to 8, from 10 to 15 or 16, uh, they don't get the disease as much. However, they are spreaders of the disease, um, as much or more so than adults. And, of course, keeping in mind that kids in schools interact with other kids much more than we as adults interact with other adults. And there's no way to keep social distancing in a school. Let's be realistic
1: here. Absolutely. Um, I would agree. In in Kaya Kenny, though, what we've agreed to do, or what our uh, superintendent of schools has uh, mandated, is that if kids come to school five days a week, they will be required to wear masks and goggles, wraparound goggles, believe it or not. I mean, to me, it's just like terrorizing kids. It's just unbelievable.
2: <laughs> right. I used to go. Seems hard to believe you could go to school that way. To be honest, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, it's crazy. But I mean, I, I, it just makes me wonder who we're trying to appease there, what we're trying to accomplish. But you know, yeah, we
2: are trying to hold. The, we're trying to hold down the spread. There's no question. Listen, it's uncomfortable and, uh, at the moment here in Israel. It's an absolute uh, requirement to wear uh, masks out of doors, and uh, they give fines. They give fines pretty liberally. They're giving fines and. Listen, it's hot. It's not comfortable to wear a mask. Yeah. There's no ifs and buts about it. But on the other hand, it seems masks um, are tremendously successful in in stopping the spread.
1: Well, I'll just cite you, California, they uh, decided to have a mask mandate. And since that period of time, the uh, velocity of cases has increased 165%. So where is the proof that masks actually contribute to slowing the spread?
2: Well, first of all, um, scientifically, there is, there is proof that, that it's very hard to spread between if two people are wearing a mask, the chances of getting it are low. There's an the example, by the way, I think it's in Alabama, I'm not sure where it was, where uh, a beauty salon, where both beaut- beauticians uh, had COVID-19. Uh, they were masked, and all of their patients, patients all of their customers were all masked. Now, one of their customers back COVID-19, and yet everybody in that family did. Yeah. Because at home, they weren't wearing masks. So, uh, again, we don't have perfect scientific proof on that level, except you know, there is scientific proof that the, that the, that the um, disease does not cost, cannot cost two masks.
1: So let me, let me ask your point of question, though. Who's going to protect you and your health from all the waste that comes out of your mouth and nose uh, <laughs> while you're wearing the mask?
2: Uh, you know, you need to stop and take care of that. I mean, that's, 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the reality. Look, uh, uh, math. Mass- Work. There's just no two ways about
1: it. Yeah, and work work. For, well, yeah, it worked for. but there are. There's a price to pay. Unintended consequences. The people here. I, I can tell you numerous cases where people started to wear masks. So the employees, for example, at the lo- local grocery stores are wearing masks. They're getting sick, not the customers. <laughs> but they're getting it because, you, of course, you, you tend to uh, uh, comp- to uh, compromise your own immune system when you're when you're mar- wearing a mask. So uh, you know, if this is all we, we're, we're operating on fear. As opposed to true science.
2: Um, I'm not positive about that. In terms of masks, I think there is true science at this point to, to support the use of masks. Yeah, um, I, you
1: know, I'd like you know, I'd like to see it. I really would, Mark, because I've seen nothing that that suggests that's the case.
2: I will bring the proof with me uh, next week. Unfortunately, we're at the radio and not TV, and I can't. Show it, but I will bring it and quote it for next week. Okay, so.
1: well, you, you certainly understand my position. And believe me, I'm not trying to be obstreperous or difficult, but M- my point is that I think this whole thing has been overblown, and I think we uh, we have a pandemic of fear, quite frankly, as a, uh, which is maybe worse than the virus itself.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't think you, t- you, you visited the mortuaries in New York during the worst months.
1: You know, here's my here's my we have you know we've had these models that have not been very accurate. Well, here's my model. Uh, Inevitably, we're going to have seventy percent of the population get the virus. Uh, About one in four hundred, or one quarter of a percent, are going to die. Half of those will be those with compromised immune systems or the elderly. Uh, So, and then uh, the whole thing will be over. That's kind of how it's going to work in my mind, and I think we just your your
2: mind that is about. Doing a quick math in my head, that's seven to 800,000 deaths, just so you
1: know. Uh, no, it's not. When you talk about a quarter of those who get the d- disease.
2: No, what you, well, you just said right now, 70% of the country, 70% of the country is about 300 million people. 300 million people, and you said one in 400 um, will die. So one in 400 of 300, uh, 300 million is about seven to 800,000.
1: Well, quarter of a percent of f- 300 million... No, I have to work. One
2: percent one one percent of four uh, three million would be would be um would be three million. And uh quarter percent co- is seven hundred fifty thousand, give or take.
1: All right, well let's uh let's get on with it. <laughs> okay.
2: You're volunteering, what can I tell you? You're like a like Texas vice governor there who ready to volunteer. I
1: have to take a look at my model. Well, I'm
3: not
1: volunteering. (laughs) Hey, Mark, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary. And, you know, irrespective, I think we've really helped our audience be informed about the issues around this. So thank you so much for joining us. Have a
2: great week,
1: Mark. You as well. Thank you. Of course, uh, politically, Mark and I come from totally different places, but I really respect uh, the thought and the information that he has for us, so genuinely appreciate him coming on the show. All right, coming up we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to just do a shout-out to Lula Bee's Diner right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They're doing during this construction phase they're having over there. They're having buy one, get one free entree, so you can have a great breakfast or lunch at Lula Bee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center right here uh, in Naples. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. He is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mystery novels. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, as I mentioned before the break. He's the... Uh, uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Oh, it's always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
4: Yes, uh, listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website at fee, F-E-E, dot org and there they will see uh, daily new content in the way of commentary on uh, public policy issues, free market economics, history, and culture, and we do programs for high school and college students on campus and uh, all over the country uh, to educate and inspire them in ideas of liberty, free markets, private property, and personal character.
1: Fee.org is the website. I just really encourage you, if you have a young person in your life help them learn about the Foundation for Economic Education at fee.org. Larry, uh, you've written a terrific column about uh, the most prosperous ancient nation we've never heard of, and quite frankly, when I think it's called Kazaria, if I'm not mistaken. I've never heard of this, but uh, what an interesting story. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: I'd be happy to, Bob. I didn't know about uh, this country. Uh, I'm not certain that the People of this country pronounced it Khazaria, but that's the way it looks to me. K H A Z A R I A. But when I discovered it, uh, I thought, wow, there's a story here. Uh, this country existed for 315 years, from 650 AD to 965, and they had a very high degree of uh, tolerance toward people of uh, differing ethnic and religious backgrounds. I think that's an important ingredient in a nation's success. Uh, and they had a very advanced degree of trade uh, because they sat astride the Silk Road, which connected China with Europe, so they had a lot of uh, uh, traffic across their country. Uh, they had low taxes and a lot of decentralization of government power, so there wasn't you know, one guy at the top telling everybody what to do. So. With trade and tolerance and decentralization, uh, Khazaria became uh, a, a prosperous country until they were overrun uh, and conquered in 965
1: AD. Yeah, again, I've kind of uh, my I'm a little rusty on my world history, but uh, it, this kind of bumps up against the Dark Ages, doesn't it? The beginning of the Dark Ages when this uh, w- when uh, Khazaria ended.
4: Yeah, uh, or shortly thereafter. Uh, often, the Dark Ages are thought to begin uh, right after the fall of Rome, which was four seventy six A.D. Hmm. Uh, so this was in the midst of uh, that that period. But uh, so you know, while the rest of the world uh, wallowed in tyranny and chaos, uh, uh, Casaria seems to have shown as a um, relatively peaceful place with a lot of trade and advancement and uh, uh it's unfortunate what happened to them but for 350 years they were a prosperous place.
1: Yeah. So uh let's talk about uh, trade, how and why that's so important to the success of a country.
4: Uh, trade is the way that human beings improve their well-being uh by engaging in mutually beneficial commerce with each other. Uh you know, uh, production would uh, not be very meaningful or useful if you couldn't take uh, at least a surplus and exchange it with other people for things you want even more. And the more trade there is, uh, the more standards of living tend to increase. Uh, it means more choice, consumer choice, more employment opportunities, uh, more uh, entrepreneurial opportunities. So trade is, uh, is, is pretty important. If you can just imagine for a moment how far would we get in our standard of living, if every exchange had to be in the form of, uh, let's say, simple barter. Um, uh, so, a sophisticated trade system linking people of differing regions using a medium of exchange that's reliable. Uh, that really facilitates a very high standard of living.
1: Yeah, Now if you think about it, uh, and this is such an important point, is that we enter into voluntary trades each and every day. We take something, money for example, and we place value on something that we probably could maybe make ourselves uh, at lesser cost. We just took the ingredients, (laughs) let's say, or uh, the the materials necessary to make something and we could make it ourselves. Probably uh, less, for less than, we. but we decide for the convenience for the opportunity for the quality and all that type of thing we're willing to buy something and that leaves a profit for the company that's selling it so and these these uh transactions are voluntary every transaction except for being the money that's extracted us from the government every one of our transactions is voluntary
4: that's right and uh 99 of them leave uh, uh, all the parties to the trade, uh, better off, or we wouldn't have done them in the first place. There's always the exception here and there where you wish afterwards that you hadn't made the trade, maybe you really didn't need it. Maybe uh, maybe even there was a case of fraud or deception on the part of the seller. But those are very small in number. The vast majority of trades are win-win propositions for all concerned.
1: Absolutely. Now, we know that uh, there is always a tendency for power to centralize somehow. Some, for some reason, people want to garner power. But you say that uh, Caesarea was decentralized. Tell us about it.
4: Yeah, right from the very top. They didn't have a single person with uh, uh, all power, an all-powerful king. Uh, like the old Roman Republic, they actually divided power at the very top between two people. Uh, uh, one in charge of the administrative uh, functions of the state and the other in charge of its uh, army and uh, judicial uh, branches. They had uh, uh, local governors, provincial governors, who they were the taxing authorities, not the central government. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever a trader from another land uh, came through uh, Kazaria. Uh, to another place, uh, then upon their exit, the provincial governor in that region would charge a flat rate of 10 percent, which is pretty good, considered that, uh, considering that the, the trader uh, just traveled across uh, the country in relative peace and friendliness, and uh, to take only 10 percent for the as a charge for providing that protection was a reasonable proposition.
1: Yeah, that certainly sounds like it. It's such an interesting column. Again, the name of the column is The Most Prosperous Ancient Nation You've Never Heard Of. Again, uh, demonstrating some of the very same qualities that makes America a great place as well. I hope you'll visit fee.org, fee.org. Larry, always great to get your insights. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is author of Follow the Leader, followed by its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889. That's 598-3889. Or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasant surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board of the Foundation. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's the author of a couple of terrific murder mysteries. The first is Father the Leader. And its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. I'm sitting
3: here in in
1: hot Washington reading the headlines. And the headline
3: that really grabs me by the throat today Uh is from Hong Kong. Hong Kong has an outbreak of uh, COVID, uh, which I call the Wuhan Plague. And they uh, they are forbidding gatherings of more than two people. And I'm thinking... Gee, I have a daughter who has seven kids, so she would be uh, <laughs> uh, illegal in Hong Kong. And, and it just brings home to me the cultural this differences between, say, mainland China and the United States, the land of the free. Yeah, And how, how the liberal press is holding China up as the gold standard for how to control a pandemic, uh, which is such a false comparison. It, it's, uh, you know, un, unworthy of uh, a true journalist.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's so disappointing. Here in Florida, I think our governor's done a great job of managing this process with the pandemic. He's watching the key number, which is, of course, hospitalizations and making sure that the health care system is not being overwhelmed. So here's the headline from one of the papers here in, uh, in, in, in Florida, Florida, F-L-O-I, O r i dash d u h, Desantis in national spotlight for bungling pandemic. <laughs> it's you know a real hit piece. There you know the press is just so absolutely adamant that uh, I think we've got more of a fear of pan- uh, a pandemic of fear than we do of, of the virus itself.
3: Well, I you know I think the virus is for real, but if you read the papers, it's snake oil. Uh, There's I've been looking at pandemics and depressions and, and the person, the people in politics who were the optimists who said the crisis would be short lived, they become the most unpopular. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a case in point being Henry Morgenthau when he was, he was head of the Federal Reserve when the depression hit and he, he went around the country saying, Hey, this will only last a year or two. It's no big deal you know so he quickly you know within a year he became very unpopular yeah he was forced out of the fed he later became treasury secretary that's the way washington works uh but you but know he would have been he would
1: have been right had uh, had we not had the new uh, the new deal quite frankly the depression would have been over a heck of a lot sooner had we not had all these federal programs installed
3: uh well my point is it's never good policy for a leader To be optimistic Mm. (laughs) You uh, you, you have to take the Winston Churchill Approach, you know, we will fight Them to the death, you know, that it's A real threat, Mm -hmm. I think the President, who is probably Positive Owing to his real estate Background and pitching uh, Investment ideas That spilled over and he was Too optimistic about the virus And he suddenly realizes that He's taking the polling numbers seriously He's changed his uh, the top of his campaign team. And I don't think it's too late for him to be a mask wearer and to be a little bit uh, more realistic and say, hey, listen, people, this is a unique challenge. It's going to take some time. Uh, so uh, I look at the polling numbers and I still don't believe them. Um, right. I call it the uh, Super Bowl syndrome. Uh, you know, more people watch the Super Bowl than watch uh, the regular NFL football season. The same thing is true of politics.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, you know, give you give them. me an opportunity here to say, say something, <laughs> get off my chest here. Yeah. Fauci throws out the first pitch in the Washington Nationals game. I'm sure you probably watched. Are you a fan?
3: Um, I, I am an Nationals fan, but I didn't. I didn't watch the game.
1: Okay, well, so Fauci throws out the first pitch. So then he's sitting in the stands. Uh, with uh, a couple of friends side by side and he's got his mask off and he was called to, to task for it and he said oh look you guys are being over hypercritical here i was uh just uh, dehydrating and i needed to get some water well there's no water around and he had his hands folded he was laughing and so forth so i mean uh, the fact of the matter is he, he, he's he had a, at a minimum he should walk the walk and, he, and uh or walk the talk anyhow, and he's certainly not doing that, and it's so disappointing to see that kind of thing. He he assumed a leadership position, but he's not leading.
3: Well, he should be more honest. Too. I mean, the whole medical establishment, you do hear it if you pay close attention. Uh, we're not going to eradicate COVID. right? You know, we've never, human beings have never eradicated any uh, plague. I mean, you have a peak and a valley, <clears throat> but this disease will be with us for maybe a decade, even with a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So what we will do is, at some point, slow the rate of deaths from this disease. Uh-huh. Um, so as an as an oldster, you know, I'm 71. Uh, when I walk around my town and see uh, young people uh, not social distancing and not wearing masks, my my first uh, visceral reaction is. Uh, Hey, you're trying to kill me. But then when I sit (laughs) down and think think about it, you know, um, their let it rip attitude is probably a healthier uh, approach because, um, you know, more people will hopefully develop immunity. You know, the whole herd immunity idea that Sweden is pioneering, the American public has voted with its feet to become Sweden.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my opinion, you know, quite frankly, uh, and I've already voiced this on the show, but I'm not a big fa- fan of a uh, mask. I think it does more harm to you than it, uh, when you're wearing a mask, and than it does protect others. Uh, I think the most important thing you could do is have a healthy attitude towards life, smile, love others. You know, if you if you maintain a very good attitude in that way, I think that'll do more to fight the coronavirus than just about anything else.
3: Well, I wear a face shield, which really looks nerdy, but it's effective and it's comfortable. There's <laughs> uh, so something else I wanted to talk about. The, the GDP number comes out later this week. Uh-huh. Uh, we are in a depression. You know, it's 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 not a recession. Uh, the GDP will be down about uh, 34%. It'll be down over 30%. Wow. You know, businesses businesses are still folded. And I'm sure, you know, when I walk around my community, I see shuttered businesses, businesses, where people have uh, been prosperous for say thirty years and yeah. they're throwing in the towel. They're they're older, and it's just too hard now. The foot traffic has disappeared. Yeah. So so the point the point being a lot of uh, small businesses are folding. So this is really a a serious, uh, you know, it's a depression. It's not a recession, and I think the response from uh, the Fed in Washington so far has been uh, dead on. To you know throw money out of a helicopter. I have great faith that the Republicans and Democrats at the 11th uh, hour will, will have another relief uh, bill.
1: From your, lips to uh, God's we, it, from your lips to God's ear, quite frankly, because I have serious doubts about whether uh, they can, the Republicans can drag something over the uh, finish line with Democrats right now. They want to win this election so badly, I think they'll do anything, including destroy the, the, uh, the economy. Yeah, I
3: I think uh, there'll be an eleventh-hour agreement, uh, you know, just based on crises in the past. Um, the
1: um, interesting, the,
3: uh, you remember when the uh, the Obama administration agreed to sequestration? Yeah, you know, which was a, uh, you know, not a, a great uh, Democratic blank. So I I think we will see a compromise uh, with pain on both the sides of the aisle. But. Yeah. But the people don't want to uh, make life worse for the American public because people who have made, uh, you know, people who are working in in households with $40,000 and less are the ones uh, that are experiencing most of the layoffs and most of the economic pressure. Yeah.
1: so, uh, quite frankly, on November the 3rd, if Biden were elected, I think this pandemic uh, of uh, coronavirus would go away. So would the demonstrations in Seattle and Portland, all these places, I, all this stuff, quite frankly. And I, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it's just been orchestrated in order to try and tear down the, the success of the Republican Party and to for the Democrats to win.
3: Well... I think they, a lot of the demonstrations are playing into the hands of President Trump. Yeah, who, uh, yeah, I agree with that is, too. Is like,
1: I think, but I, but I think they're orchestrated in in order to to uh, to reduce his credibility. But I agree with you, Jim. You know, as usual, I'll always appreciate your commentary. I wish we had more time to talk, but we're coming to the end of the show here, Jim. So thank you so much for joining us. It's fun, and I enjoy talking to you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you as well, Jim. And again, his two books. Uh, Follow the leader and uh, shake the money tree. That's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadoma, our state senator. Boo Morton will be joining us, Seton Motley, and Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment. I always appreciate his commentary here on the show as well. Uh, If you have any comments or thoughts about the show, I always appreciate them. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter I send out every day after the show, you can uh, sign up for that as well, bobharden at uh, hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.